to be Christians, you shouldn't be Second Amendment is still part of our Constitution. There's no excuse for bigotry. We need to protect their rights because Republicans can't Breaking news out of Minneapolis today as the Hennepin County attorney ruled to not charge is holding our country hostage, and we must use everything in our power. The idea of global warming is a Christians shouldn't be posting hate speech. Period. Everyone yelling at each other actually started praying for each other. Something might actually change. There's no excuse for the idea of global warming. Islam is holding our country hostage, and we must use everything in our power to stop America. Welcome to Newport Church. Really good to have you with us today, whether at one of our campuses or you're watching this message online. We are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last four weeks called Culture Clash because our culture clashes about a lot. Watch the news, scroll through any social media feed, and you will soon realize that there are a lot of people who disagree with one another, even about things like church. About seven or eight years ago, I was walking through Nickelodeon Universe at the Mall of America when I saw the dumbest thing I had ever seen in my entire life. And I am not exaggerating about this. I called my wife over, and I went on a five-minute rant about how the end of the world must be coming soon. That was my only explanation for this. I said, are we, our lives so meaningless that we are now willing to spend money on that? Here's a picture on the side screens of what I was looking at. <clears throat> I was standing outside the American Girl doll store. And I was watching a grown adult professionally braid a doll's hair. Not a doll that was being put on display in the store, mind you, but a doll that some girl had brought in for a doll day at the salon. If we ever find other life forms on another planet, how are we going to explain this to them? <laughs> I mean, we're gonna, yeah, we spend money to have our doll's hairs properly done. That was about seven or eight years ago. Six years ago, I was standing in the hospital room where my wife was delivering our third child. The doctor held up this screaming baby still attached to the umbilical cord, and she said, so dad, is it a boy or is it a girl? And you don't want to answer that one wrong. So I took my time. I, I had already had two boys, so that's kind of what I was expecting. But then I said, it's a girl. And when those three words came out of my mouth, both my wife and I could not contain our tears of joy. We named that little girl Isabel. And Isabel is a testament to the fact that daughters make their dads do dumb things. <laughs> Last year, the American Girl Doll of the Year was named, wait for it, Isabel. So what did we do? We went and spent $100 on a doll just because some marketing guy in New York happened to name her Isabel. We didn't even have a choice. We are like, of course we're gonna spend 100 bucks on three pounds of plastic. <laughs> that three pounds of plastic has the same name as our daughter. Then for her sixth birthday this past year, my wife and I gave Isabel a coupon for a date with both of us to the American Girl doll store. And we said, and you can get your doll's hair done if you want to. She ended up having her doll's ears pierced. That's what we spent money on. And after we bought that, we went up to the restaurant that you can eat at where we spent more money. 
and they seated us, my daughter Isabel and her doll Isabel, and then they brought out a high chair and a cup and saucer for the doll. Here's a picture of my daughter Isabel and her doll Isabel eating lunch at the American Girl doll store. Now, guess what? I loved it. I am a convert. Love the American Girl doll store. We might celebrate Isabel's whole birthday there next year if I somehow fall into a quarter of a million dollars. <laughs> Pretty much what I think it's going to take. Now, what changed? Well, there was a new birth. I had a girl, and the birth of that girl changed my perspective on the American Girl doll store. I've had an experience like that one other time in my life. It was with church. If you've heard me speak before, you know that growing up, I did not attend church. I didn't go on Christmas, I didn't go on Easter, and I can remember thinking, why would you? Like, why would you get up in the morning, shower, get dressed, so that you could come to a place where you can stand for 20 minutes and sing songs with a group of people? And then when you're done singing, you get to sit down and listen to a message about the Israelites, Hittites, Jebusites, or Parasites. <laughs> I thought, why, why would you want to do that? Contrast that to what I did on Sunday mornings. I would sleep in. I would read the sports section. This is back when the newspaper was on actual paper. My mom would make some pancakes. My dad would watch political shows or he would you know, listen to Sid Hartman on the radio. I could go outside and I could play basketball or baseball. I got to do whatever I wanted to do. And I thought that all of those people who were in church were the equivalent of a guy who spends money to have his doll's hair done. But then something changed. There was a new birth. I went off to college and I became convinced that Jesus Christ was a real person who really died on a cross and who physically rose again to life. Not in a vision that somebody had, not spiritually, but physically, like I can touch you, I can see you kind of rising from the dead. And he did that to pay for our sins and to overcome death. Jesus uses a very interesting word to describe that moment in a person's life. He says, you have been born again. In other words, just like all of us were born out of our mother's womb in a physical birth, we all need to have a spiritual birth as well. A moment when we repent of our sins and we put our faith and trust in Christ. And that new birth, it changes you. It changed me. One of the changes that took place in my life was that I started to want to go to church. Nobody dragged me or forced me to go. I wanted to come and learn about the Bible and learn about Jesus Christ. I wanted to worship with other believers. I wanted to be around Christians who could help me grow in my faith. Just like my daughter's birth changed my perspective on the American Girl doll store, my new birth in Christ changed my perspective on church. I love it. We even go to church when we're on vacation sometimes. But not everybody feels that way. In fact, this idea that church is kind of optional, that's not a new concept. Even in the first century, there were people who were hit and miss when it came to church, which is why the author of Hebrews wrote these words. He says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I want you to notice two things from this verse. First, he says, let us consider. 
It's not a throwaway statement. In other words, let's give this some thought. Let's be intentional about spurring one another on towards love and towards good deeds. Let's not assume that people are encouraged because there's a lot of people out there who are discouraged and they are lonely and they need the church. But then notice what he says next. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Meeting together is a habit. You are either in the habit of sleeping in, eating pancakes, and listening to Sid Hartman on the radio, or you are in the habit of being in church. Now, you all are in church today, so that speaks volumes about the priority that that is in your life. And so I just want to say to you, way to go. I honestly believe that God blesses and rewards people who make him the priority in their life. There's so many other things you could have done today. You could have slept in could have gotten some yard work done, you could have relaxed, but you chose to put God first and allow God to speak into your life, and I believe that God will bless that. If you're a parent here today, you did it. You got your kids to church. They've got food all over their face, they're wearing one sock and their pants are on backwards, but they are here. <laughs> and now they get to learn about Christ, and you get a chance for God to fill you up as well. But again, not everybody feels that way about church. You probably know people who are hit and miss with church or who don't, are not in the habit of meeting together with other believers. They usually have their reasons. I've tried to think of what the most common reasons are. First one is, you know, the church is corrupt. You'll hear people say this. They'll look at the, the sexual abuse in the Catholic church, the scandals. They'll look at evangelical pastors who have had affairs or televangelists who are flying around in a private jet. And unfortunately, there are some people who lump all churches into that. They don't make any distinction whatsoever. They just make a blanket statement, the church is corrupt, I don't want anything to do with it. Another reason I've heard people give is, well, the church doesn't, just, doesn't make sense. If you didn't grow up going to church, let me tell you, when you stand in worship and you see someone raise their hand, you're like, what's going on? What, you got a question? What's going on? Or you go to a church and it's like, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. It's like an aerobics class if, you've not, if you're not used to that. And so some people come to church and they go, it just doesn't make sense to me. Other people will say, you know, I had a bad church experience. Some of you grew up going to church. And it was boring, it was irrelevant. Or maybe another Christian said something to you that was really hurtful. And so you got to be an adult or a college-age person, and you said, you know what, I, I'm just not going back. Had a bad church experience. And other people say, I don't need church. I don't need church to be a good person. I don't need church to be a spiritual person. I can worship God in my deer stand, on a walk. I can listen to podcasts or read books. I don't need church. And then the last one that people will say is simply, I don't want to go to church. Honestly, can I tell you that people will say it's the corruption or I don't need church, but as somebody who did not attend church for the first 18 years of my life, can I just tell you that the number one reason that people don't go is because they don't want to go. If you work a Monday through Friday job, you get to the weekend and you go, you know, I just want to go at my own pace. This is my time to do what I want to do. Or maybe you've got kids in all kinds of activities and it's just push God out of your schedule. There's no room for him. And yet, despite all those objections, look again what the author of Hebrews says. Let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
Here's the question I want to raise for you today. Why should you be in the habit of regularly attending church? With the weather getting nicer and the cabins about to open up and there's all sorts of things that you could be doing on the weekend, why should you make church a priority in your life? Let me give you two reasons why. The first one is this. You will experience God at church in a way that you won't if you stay at home. A couple months ago, our family drove down to Destin, Florida for spring break. And while we were there, we woke up on Sunday morning and it was 75 degrees and sunny. The night before, my wife had said, why don't we look for a good local church and then go in the morning? But when we woke up, I said, are you sure you want to go to church? I mean, look at it outside. Now, I'm not saying that you need to go to church on vacation. I'm not even saying you need to be in church every single weekend. I get that people get sick and things come up and that sort of thing. It doesn't have to be a duty or obligation. But in our case, we thought, you know what? What an example this would set for our kids if we just said, you know, we go to church no matter what's going on in our life. And let's put ourselves in a position to hear from God on a weekly basis and be in church. And so we went. And it was like the highlight of our vacation. My two oldest boys came into the service to hear them singing to God, to watch them take communion. We got in the car afterwards, and there was such a joy. Have you ever noticed this? You're driving to church, everybody's fighting, everybody's in a bad mood and bickering with each other, and then after church, there is like this supernatural joy. I'm telling you, friends, you don't get that from watching political shows. You don't get that from listening to Sid Hartman, I'll tell you that. You don't get it from staying home. You stay home, you get more messes, more fighting, more boredom. You don't even get it from sleeping in and eating pancakes. You get it when you've been in the presence of God. Besides, after church, we got to go to a Waffle House. <laughs> and while we were there, they gave us a coupon for two free waffles on our next visit, which was clearly God's way of saying, I love you, Jason. But you will experience God at church in a way that you will not experience him at home. In fact, when we were in Destin, the message that weekend was directed towards parents. And so if I could just say a word to the parents who are here this morning. You know, both of my two oldest sons, they play basketball, baseball, football. A lot of their activities are on the weekend. And I want them to do well in sports. But even more than that, I care about who they are and how they behave. And I've actually never met a parent who would say otherwise. And so here's the question I want you to wrestle with if you're a parent today. Where will your kids grow in their character? Where will they learn about good behavior? Where will they learn about Jesus Christ and what it means to know him and love him? It's in church. You don't learn that playing video games at home. You don't get that on the basketball court, baseball field, or the golf course. You get it in church. Now, some parents will say, yeah, but I don't want to push religion on my kids. And I understand what you mean by that, but do you take that same posture when it comes to their education? Like if your middle school, high school, or college age student came to you and they said, you know, school's boring, it's irrelevant, I'm just going to sleep in. Would you say, no, that's fine. I don't want to push education on you. <laughs> well, no, you probably wouldn't do that. Because when you understand that there's something important in your kids' lives and what they need in their lives, you make that a priority. Church is where you can learn about things like honesty and obedience. 
even if you're not a follower of Christ here today or you're not sure what you believe about God, wouldn't you want that for your children? Some parents will say, yeah, but if I push too hard, won't they kind of pull back and not want to go to church when they grow up? And that's a legitimate concern. You have to kind of navigate that a little bit. But let me tell you, I have never met the student who says, you know what? Ever since I stopped going to church, I love Jesus Christ so much more. I have never met the college student who says, you know, ever since I stopped coming to church, my morals and my values are that much stronger. Allow your kids to question. Allow your kids to doubt. But then give them some guidance. And don't take them to a boring church. And I don't say that to bash other churches because there's all kinds of great churches in the Twin Cities. I say it because you don't want to raise your kids up with the mindset that church is boring and irrelevant to their life. This is why we invest so much in our kids' ministry and in our student ministry. Anytime I talk to a family that's brand new to our church, this is why they're coming. It's not because of how good-looking Bob is. It's not how ripped I am. Those are big draws, no doubt. But I'm telling you, it is our kids' ministry. It's our student ministry. I was just talking to a dad a couple weeks ago, and he told me, I've never seen my second-grade son more excited to come to church. He said he's as excited to come to church as he is to do any other family activity that we do. I thought, wow, that's the kind of church you want to be a part of if you're a parent. By the way, if you're a single adult, empty nester or married without kids, all this applies to you as well. I've never met the adult who says, you know, I've been really growing in my faith ever since I stopped attending church. The opposite is actually true. We talk to people all the time who are going through some catastrophic event in their life. It's been a divorce, there's been a moral failure, something has fallen apart. And we'll trace it back and we'll go back a year or two or three and we'll find them saying things like this, well, I, I just got busy with softball. And I just stopped kind of coming to church. I got out of the habit of it, and it was a slow drift over time. Instead of thinking, what am I going to miss at the cabin if I go to church? What if you started thinking, what am I going to miss at church if I go to the cabin? Because look what the Bible says in Psalm 22. It says, God inhabits the praise of his people. God inhabits, he's present in the praise of his people in a way that he's not if you stay at home. You will experience God at church in a way that you won't if you stay at home. It's the first reason to make church a priority. The second reason is this. God loves the church. The New Testament uses several metaphors to describe the church, and one of them is the bride of Christ. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. It's a powerful statement for every husband here. Are you doing that? You love in your wife as Christ loved the church. It says he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her, the church, to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. I'll hear people sometimes and they'll say, you know, I really like Jesus, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. And you know why they say that, but just think about this with me for a moment. Imagine if I came up to you and I said, hey, I love you. I love spending time with you. It's great hanging out with you. But your bride, 
oh, I can't stand her. I don't want to have anything to do with her. How would that make you feel? How does that make God feel? The church is the bride of Christ, and God loves the church like a good husband loves his wife, despite its imperfections. In fact, here's kind of a duh statement for you, but there is no perfect church. If you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. (laughs) And if you're here today and you think that Eagle Brook is the perfect church, I want to welcome you with us. Obviously, you're here for the first time, but... We are not the perfect church. But here's the problem with this mindset. If you're looking for the perfect church, you will never put your roots down anywhere. You will bounce from church to church to church, always being disappointed by something. Kind of reminds me of how some people date. If you're a woman, maybe you can relate to this, but maybe you have a friend who you get together with and you know she's been on a date with this guy. And so you ask her, you say, hey, uh, how did that date go? And she says, oh, yeah, it's just okay. I, I don't think I'm going to see him again. And you're like, well, well why? What, what happened? What was wrong? And she says, oh, you know, I, uh, I saw his bedroom, and he's got a Star Wars poster up. I mean, he's actually got two Star Wars posters, and I hope he doesn't think that if we got married, he can start putting Star Wars posters up around the bedroom. And as a friend, you're listening to this, and you're going, what, what are you? that's why you're not going to date him? I mean, you know that when you get married, you're going to get him hooked on fixer-upper. Every wife does that for her husband. And then Chip Gaines is going to get you to demo that poster, rip out a wall, and find some shiplap underneath there. It's going to be okay. So picky. And some people bring that same mindset into church. All the music's too loud. All their musicians are dressed like hipsters. I don't like that song, Holy Spirit, You Are Welcome Here. I mean, the Holy Spirit, he knows he's welcome. You don't need to tell him that. That's a dumb song. (laughs) The pastor's sweater, he's so distracting. I can't even listen to him when he's wearing that sweater. I'm a full baptism immersion, reformed Calvinist, pre-trib, pre-millennial, and I swear that church is amillennial. That greeter smiled at me funny. The usher was wearing a suit. The usher wasn't wearing a suit. I saw a woman in a Packers jersey. Now, that last one's fairly legitimate, but the rest of those, (laughs) it's like so picky. It's why some people will say, I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion. It's a buzzword that you hear all the time these days, "Ah, organized religion. Whenever I hear someone say that, I say, well, you ought to come to Eaglebrook because we're not all that organized. (laughs) I mean, honestly, we could do to improve probably in that. But my point is, the opposite of organized is not spirituality. Some people will say, well, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm into spirituality. I'm not into organized religion. Well, those two things aren't the opposite of one another. The opposite of organized religion is unorganized religion. Can you imagine what that would be like? Hey, what time is church? I don't know. Nobody told me. Well, where do they meet? Beats me. Who prepared the message this weekend? I don't even think we assigned that to anyone. That's what organized religion looks like. My point is, there's nothing wrong with organization. There's nothing wrong with having a building to meet in in the wintertime. There's nothing even wrong with having an inviting building that's comfortable to people and that people would want to come into. There's nothing wrong with having a staff that prepares a message and gets a kid's ministry that's safe and fun and music pastors who are gifted to lead musically. But what do you need to have all those things? 
Well, you need finances, buildings, money, hierarchy, accountability, all the things that people bristle at when it comes to organized religion. Look, I know the church isn't perfect, but God loves the church. He loves it like a good husband loves his wife. And so how can we say, well, I'm spiritual, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church when the church is the bride of Christ? Those are the two reasons to make church a priority. Because you will experience God at church in a way that you won't if you stay home. And because church was God's idea. But having said all of that, church alone is not enough. It's not church or a personal relationship with God. It's church and a personal relationship with God. In fact, if your only touch point with God is for an hour on the weekend, that's not going to be enough. Imagine if you did that with your spouse. Hey, don't, don't talk to me. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to talk to you. You don't talk to me. I'll see you at 11 o'clock on Sunday, okay? You want to say something to me? You got a full hour. I'm open and available. Other than that, let's not, we're not going to talk. That really wouldn't be much of a relationship. And in the same way, God wants to meet with you. He wants to speak with you on a daily basis. A couple months ago, I was going through some hard things in my life, and I woke up one morning, and I read Psalm 40. And it was, I didn't even read it. It was like God spoke it to me. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. Some of you today have something going on in your life, and it's painful, and it's hurtful. And maybe God wants to say to you today, wait. Wait patiently for me to come and to help you. And then he says, and he, God, turned to me and he heard my cry. You know, sometimes you pray and you pray and you cry and it's like, are you out there? Do you hear anything I'm saying? And God says, yes, I, I will turn to you. I have heard your cry. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and he steadied me as I walked along. Imagine if I hadn't read the Bible that morning. I would have missed out on some powerful words that God wanted to speak into my life, some powerful encouragement that God wanted to give me in that moment. Friends, I would do just about anything to have each of you read the Bible on a daily basis. I would do just about anything to see you make that commitment in your life. Because a half hour teaching on the weekend is not going to be enough for you. God wants to pour out more into your life. Growing up as a kid, I pretty much ate whatever I wanted. My mom was healthy, and so we didn't have a lot of junk food around the house. But even if we did, I was always playing sports and running around. Plus, I was a young kid, so it didn't really matter all that much. But these days, my two oldest sons are playing sports of their own, and so I'm always driving them to practice, which isn't a lot of exercise. And I'm not in my 20s anymore. In fact, I went into the doctor a few months ago for a minor issue, and right away he said, oh, this is pretty common among middle-aged men. I said, excuse me? <laughs> he said, yeah, what, what are you, like 37? I went home and I told my wife, I said, I'm a middle-aged man. I said, everybody at Eagle Brook's always telling me how young I am, but I just realized something. Everybody who says that is old. And so my wife is really healthy. She's been on me for a while to cut sugar and processed food out of my diet, but that meant no cotton candy, no Sour Patch Kids, no Waffle House, no S'mores Blizzard at Dairy Queen. I'm like, I'd rather die than have that. 
But she caught me at a weak moment. We had just gotten back from a vacation, the one that we drove to in Destin, Florida, and I'd eaten Waffle House twice, Cracker Barrel once, Wendy's, Culver's, Steak and Shake. And so the idea of eating salad for a month actually sounded appealing to me. And so I agreed to do this thing called Whole30. Maybe you've heard of this, but for me, it was no gluten, no dairy, no sugar, no processed foods. It was a lot of vegetables and fruits and grains and that kind of thing. In fact, I was in my office one day, and I was sipping on green tea, and I was eating something that tasted like a carrot dipped in dirt. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what the thing was. And I thought, well, why am I doing this to myself right now? But here's what I learned in doing the Whole30. It's not exercise or eat healthy. It's both. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I don't need to eat healthy because I exercise. Well, that's great, but you're, you're not as healthy as you could be. Or occasionally you'll hear a person say, you know, I really don't need to exercise that much because I eat healthy. And that's great, but you're probably not as physically healthy as you could be. And that very same principle applies to your life spiritually as well. Sometimes people will say, you know what, I don't need to go to church. I have a personal relationship with God. Well, you're probably not as spiritually healthy as you could be. And then other people will say, you know what, I don't need to read the Bible. I go to church. Well, again, a half-hour teaching on the weekend is probably not going to make you as spiritually healthy as you could be. It's both. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to challenge our church to take a spiritual whole 30. Here's how this is going to work if you agree to take this challenge. You will agree to being in church for the next four weekends. Do whatever it takes to be here for the next four weekends. We're beginning a brand new series next week on the life of David and how God prepared him to take down some giants in his life. We all have giants in our life as well. It's going to be a great series. Be in church for the next four weeks, and then you are agreeing to reading the Bible for 15 minutes a day and praying about what you just read. 15 minutes a day and praying about what you just read. But before you agree to this, let me just give you two things. Number one, for some of you, there is something in your life that you are going to have to cut out of your spiritual diet. What I mean is, in order for me to do the whole 30, in order for it to work, I had to cut some things out. I had to cut out sugar. I had to cut out processed foods. And there are some of you here today who you have something in your life that needs to go. There's a relationship that pulls you away from God. There's something that you watch or you drink or you spend your time doing. Maybe it's not even sinful. But it just takes up so much of your attention and your mental energy that there's no room for God. You may have to cut some things out. Others, for others of you, what I want you to know is my hope is that you will begin to crave new things. I found that at the end of this month, I would be craving salad or broccoli, things that I had never craved before. And I truly believe that at the end of this, some of you are going to miss church one weekend, and you're just going to feel off that week. And you're going to go, oh, I need to get in church next weekend and be around God's people and, and worship and hear from his word. Or you're going to miss a day reading the Bible, and you're going to go, oh, I just feel off today. I need to read my Bible and spend a moment with God. Can you do this? Yes, you can. You can do anything for 30 days. The reason I agreed to eat vegetables for 30 days is because I thought, well, it's just 30 days. You can do anything for 30 days. Here's how it's going to work. As you can see on the side screens here, if you want to do this challenge, text 
Whole30 to 555-888. You can go ahead and take out your phones right now if you want to. Text Whole30 to 555-888, and we will send you a free devotional. We're not charged. There's no hidden agenda here. We just want to get you into God's Word. But we will send you a free devotional every single day on your mobile device. You can read it. It'll be a scripture verse for you to pray about and to enter into. And at the end of the 30 days, if you want to keep receiving it, we'll keep sending it. If you don't want it anymore, it's done. If you're not a person who texts and wants things on your phone, stop off in the next steps area as you leave today at your campus. We've got a Bible reading plan for you on a card. Just a plan to get you into the Bible for the next 30 days. It's not church or a personal relationship with God. It's church and a personal relationship with God. What if each of us took the next 30 days and we said, I am going to get spiritually healthy. Yeah, physical health, that's important. But I'm going to get spiritually healthy like never before in my life. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. God, I thank you for every person here today. I pray that you would honor them and bless them for the priority that they've made to be in church and to hear from your word and to worship you. And God, I pray that we can take this beyond these walls, that our relationship with you wouldn't be relegated to an hour on the weekend, but that we would meet with you every day and we would read your word and we would pray about it and that, God, you would speak to us and encourage us. Lord, I pray for the people who are doing this spiritual whole 30. I pray that they would get spiritually healthy like never before in their life. I pray that there would be mornings when they would read things in the Bible and they would go, oh, Lord, thank you. That was just what I needed to hear today. And they would realize what they had missed out on if they weren't reading your word and allowing you to speak to them and encourage them on a daily basis. God, I pray for new cravings, that we begin to crave you and your word and desire a deeper relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for those of us here who need to make some hard decisions and need to cut some things out of our life things that have really hurt our relationship with you and have pulled us away from you. God, I pray for the spiritual strength and faith to do that right now. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer, come on down front. Otherwise, have a great day, everybody.